Well, good morning, Village Church. My name is Alex Culpepper, and I'm the next-gen pastor here at Village, and it's my privilege to be sharing God's Word with you this morning. If you could, please open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, and we'll be in verse 12. Now, while you're opening there, I want to talk about rules for a second. We all probably have various experiences with rules. Maybe some of us are really like uh, just on-the-nose rule followers, and then maybe some of us are rule Breakers. Well, I want to argue this morning that uh, no matter where you fall along that line, uh, we all like rules to a certain degree. Now, even if you're a rule breaker, you're going to end up agreeing with me because uh, what we find out about rules is that rules establish pathways to certain goals. Rules provide pathways to goals, right? And so if you're a rule breaker, it's not, really about the, it's not really the rule that you don't like. It is the goal that the rule leads you towards. And so, uh, so uh, you might find some other rules that you actually do follow and you do like because they lead you to certain goals. And so this is just a reality of our humanity, right? And today's sermon is all about the golden rule. Like this, and and Jesus says about this rule, this is the law and the prophets. Meaning that if you follow this rule, you will have gotten it all right in terms of following God. Like you can, if you can check this box off, then you will have successfully followed God. So we should love this, right? Because like we're all here in church on a Sunday morning, which means to some degree or another, we all have like some sort of interest in following God. And so we're gonna get it. The, the rule that establishes that pathway to the goal of successfully following God, Jesus is gonna give that rule to us this morning. Now, I have my own personal story with rules. Uh, I just recently finished seminary. And in seminary, like in many college classes, the first day of class is syllabus day. And syllabus day is a really, really good day because you get a stack of papers that give you the rules that you have to follow in order to pass the class, right? So you, I, I get that stack of papers, I look through, and I figure out what do I have to do in order to get the grade that I want for this class. It's laid out really, really clearly for me. And so like one of the things that I actually do is I figure out like, what, like, how many classes do I actually have to attend to be able to pass, <laughs> right? I, I, like, I need to know, like, what is the least that I can miss? Like, I, I, want, I want to be able to get the grade that I want, but I also, like, if I can skip a few classes, I want to be able to do that. Uh, and so that tells you something about me. Uh, I uh, maybe just have a little bit of selfishness, especially because, like, I'm going, uh, like, I was going to seminary to study about who, about God. Uh, and so, but I'm, like, I'm concerned about how I can uh, just do the least that's required to get through, right? Um, now, the reality is I, I was a busy person. I had a lot of stuff to do. I can make up all sorts of excuses, but I was like asking the question, what's the least that I can do to get the grade that I want? And we love rules because they make these pathways to certain goals really, really clear. So here's an example. Here's some examples of goals that we might have. One goal would be this. You might have the goal of not getting a traffic citation when you're driving. 
So, uh, so you are going to have to figure out, number one, what is the speed limit? Not so you can drive the speed limit, mind you. You're gonna drive about five to seven miles over the speed limit. So you, you wanna be able to check that box. You know that if you drive that fast that you will be able to successfully not get a traffic citation and, and traffic lights. So like we need to know the last possible second that we can cross that line, right? Like I know that if my car is over the line, as soon as the light turns red, that I will not get a traffic citation. So I can tr successfully check that box to not getting a traffic citation. Okay, so another goal we might have not defaulting on my student loans. So I need to know like the bare minimum, minimum to not do this, right? So uh, I'm gonna ask the question, what is the least that I have to pay each month to make sure that I don't default on my student loans? Or what is the last possible second that I can pay it each month? Okay, so uh, third goal up here. Uh, it might look like this. I wanna be seen as a good neighbor in my neighborhood. I want my neighbors to perceive me as a good neighbor, which like, let's be real, this is really a selfish motivation. It's about how other people perceive me. Okay, so being viewed as a good neighbor. So I'm gonna ask the question, what events do I have to attend to make sure that my neighbors like think that I care about this place? Uh, what social <laughs> media networks do I have to connect to for my neighbors to see like I am invested here? Uh, how many Christmas lights do I have to put on my house for my neighbors to see like I wanna make this place beautiful? So what is the least that I can do to make sure my neighbors think that I care about this place that we live in together. And this is a reality of humanity. I think we love rules so much because they do, they establish these pathways. They give us the bare minimum requirements for meeting our own selfishly motivated goals. And uh, these, good, these goals could look very different, right? Uh, goal number one could look like this, protecting myself and other drivers on the road. Goal number two could be ensuring that I follow through on all my financial commitments as soon as I possibly can. Goal three could be simply caring for my neighbor well. Now what naturally follows is that we are wired to carry this way of thinking, of like checking off the box to meet our own selfishly motivated goals. We're wired to carry this way of thinking into how we relate to God. So we might ask the question, what's the least I can do to be seen as a law keeper? What's the bare minimum for earning God's favor? What do I have to do to make sure that God sees I am a good person? So when we hear about a rule like the golden rule, the rule that we can follow to get it all right with God, we might get really, really excited, right? The only problem is that the rule that Jesus gives us this morning is less about checking a box and more about a way of life. What we're gonna hear from this part of Jesus' sermon this morning is that the kingdom of God, at the end of the day, this sort of uh, least I can do, bare minimum sort of thinking in the kingdom of God, that will not do. Jesus' main point is simply this, your bare minimum will not be enough. So last week, uh, Pastor Tim, talk to us about God's fatherly love. So if you look just above verse 12, you will see that uh, Jesus is talking about the way the father loves his children, the way the father gives good gifts to his children. And Pastor Tim reminded us that he's just waiting to give to his children if they would ask, if they would seek, if they would knock. And he reminded us that God is a generous and gracious father. 
We also know that a general expectation of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is that we would imitate the Father. After the bit on loving your enemies, he says this to the people who are listening. Matthew 5, 48, he says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So we know that Jesus is carrying into this sermon this expectation that we would be imitators of God. And so, so he, he's talking about the Father in this, this section on the golden rule. He's talking about his generosity and how he gives good gifts to his children. And then he says this, he says so. Which means that he's, he's pushing us back to what he just said about the Father. Which means whatever he's going to say next is going to be based on the, gener- the generosity and the graciousness of the Father. So basically, he's saying, so imitate your Father in this way. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. This is the golden rule. So point one in your notes, is your golden rule fool's gold? He starts with the word whatever. And what we need to notice here is that with his very first word, Jesus is starting to recalibrate his audience. See, Jesus is teaching a version of a really common ethical rule. In fact, some version of this rule can be seen uh, in many areas of the world throughout history in various ethical and religious traditions. And so in ancient Egyptian polytheism, we can actually observe uh, somebody giving something very similar to the golden rule. It says, that which you hate to be done to you, do not do to another. In Greek philosophy, we can see it. It says, do not do to others that which angers you when they do it to you. And then in first century Judaism, which, by the way, is what Jesus' listeners would have been really, really familiar with. In first century Judaism, we hear, what is hateful to you, do not do to your fellow. This is the whole Torah. So so Jesus' audience would have been super familiar with this passage. This actually comes from a guy called Hillel the Elder. Uh, He taught about 40 to 50 years before Jesus started teaching. And what was going on is that there were these Jewish teachers and they were trying to debate the meaning of a passage. They were debating the meaning of Leviticus 19.18, which says this, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So Hillel, he had taken and he had, he had determined the interpretation and this was the accepted interpretation. All of Jesus' listeners would have been really, really familiar with this. Do not, or what is hateful to you, do not do to your fellow. This is the whole Torah. So Jesus is going to step in to this conversation. But we have to notice something first and that is this. They are all, I don't know if you noticed, but all of the previous versions of this rule, they were all stated in the negative. Which means like the the command is then just don't do bad things to other people. Don't do things that you wouldn't want somebody to do to you. Which means that I could do literally nothing to my neighbor as long as I'm not doing bad things and I would still be able to fulfill this rule. And Jesus is gonna enter into this conversation and he, with his very first word, is going to start to recalibrate. 
Verse 12, he says, so whatever. Whatever is a combination of two Greek words that basically overemphasize the positive nature of what Jesus is saying. At the very beginning of what he's saying, he's making it obvious that he is changing the interpretation of this rule. It says whatever. Literally, it's everything whatever. He's going over the top to make the point. It's any possible thing that you might wish for another person to do to you. So you know how Jesus has a pattern in his sermon. We see it often. He says, you have heard it said, but I say to you. And he's doing a very similar thing right here where he's taking something that is really commonly understood, a commonly understood teaching, and he's turning it on its head. And what we have here is something that we see a few places in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is creating a juxtaposition between law and grace. And so in the framework of law versus grace, you have the people who think along the lines of law, which is how to make sure that I'm good with God. That's a selfish motivation, right? Like I have to make sure that my, like I can meet the standards to make sure that I'm good with God. It's all about me. So that's law versus grace, which is this. How to image and imitate God to the world. How can I imitate my Father in heaven to the world? You see, God, he gave the law for the purpose of creating a gracious people. He wanted his people to be gracious. The purpose of the law was actually to help his people imitate and image his good nature to the world around them. But they turned it into a system of boxes to check, of tasks to complete to make sure that they were good with God. Essentially, their golden rule was fool's gold. It was a fraudulent version of the law that God gave because it desperately missed the point of the law. So, those who follow the law, those who are really have these sort of selfish motivations, their own self- selfishly motivated goals, they're gonna ask questions like this. How can I make sure that people see that I care about following God. Do you see how that's a selfish motivation at the core? Because it's all about how people perceive you. What tasks must I complete to be considered righteous? What's the least I can do to call myself a good person? The root of all of these is pride, selfishness. How can I earn God's favor and my own salvation? What's the bare minimum I can get away with in following God? That's those who follow the law, those who are looking to just check off their boxes, complete their tasks. But those who follow grace, they ask these kind of questions. How can I treat others in the same way that my father treats me? How can I reveal to others the generous and good nature of my father in heaven? What's the most that I can do for my neighbor? How do I live my whole life in worship to God? So let's just talk about a few scenarios for a second. Let's talk about the workplace. So there might be some acceptable standards in your workplace for how people use time. Uh, and you may not find them acceptable, but you see like for the most part, maybe, maybe it's people looking at Facebook on their computers or playing solitaire or something like that. And generally across the office or wherever you might be, you see that it is acceptable for people to waste time. But then you have other people who, like, they think about, well, if I was the boss, 
and I were paying people for, to use their time, I would want them to be working that whole time, right? And so those people actually go above and beyond what the accepted standard is in the office. And so that's why, honestly, like Christians can be really annoying coworkers sometimes because, because they are going above and beyond. They're making everybody else look bad, right? So that's, that's in your workplace, but what about in your neighborhood? There is like a bare minimum standard for how you need to interact with your neighbors, right? Like if you have anything, like anything that might go from your yard into their yard, you have to make sure that that doesn't happen. So like if you have a tree that just sheds leaves like crazy, you need to be really careful to like make sure that those leaves don't end up in your neighbor's yard. You have to not mow your grass so that it blows into your neighbor's yard. You know, you have all these things. You just have to sort of keep to yourself with your, with your neighbor right? So that's like checking off the box, the bare minimum standard for being a neighbor. But then you have some people who actually want to go above and beyond. They want to get to know their neighbors. They want to come to care for their neighbors. They want to invest in their lives. They want to show them the generous and good nature of their father in heaven. How about the parable of the good Samaritan? Jesus tells us a story of a man who was uh, walking on a road and he was beaten by robbers and he was left on the side of the road, uh, almost dead. And then along comes a priest, and he sees this guy who's almost dead on the side of the road. The priest walks to the other side of the road and keeps going. And then you have a Levite who comes, and he sees the guy on the side of the road. And then he walks to the other side of the road, and he keeps going. Now, what were they doing? They were checking their box. Right, Because there were standards in the Jewish religion of what you could and could not do with somebody who was dead or close to death. Right? So they were making sure, they were checking their box to make sure that they were good with God. They were focusing on their own selfishly motivated goals. But then along comes this Samaritan who, by the way, the Samaritans were not viewed as a very good or very clean or a very wholesome people, right? But along comes the Samaritan and he sees the guy on the side of the road and he takes care of the guy. He makes sure that he gets checked in to a place, that he can get healed, that his wounds will be taken care of. He leaves money to make sure that the guy is taken care of. That's what the Samaritan does, right? And so here you have the guys who are acting by law, who are just making sure that they're good with God, but then you have somebody who says, how can I image and imitate my father to the world around me? So Jesus, he summarizes the whole law and the whole prophets and he says to those who are listening, your bare minimum will not be enough. This way of thinking that you have wired into you, this will not be enough. Number two in your notes, your path to real gold. Matthew 7 verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. We typically will read this passage and like good evangelicals, we're gonna think that Jesus is referring to himself as the narrow gate. Uh, But we have to realize that this is not the point that Jesus is trying to make. He's actually continuing this discussion of law versus grace. And he's talking about those who want to check the box, those who want to figure out what they need to do to make sure they're good with God that this path they're following, it actually leads them to destruction. This is the path of following law, of checking the box. This is the bare minimum point of view. This is the point of view that asks, what's the least I can do to make sure that I'm good? 
So what does, the question we have to ask is what does Jesus mean when he says easy? When he says that this way is easy? Because the Pharisees, like they worked harder than anybody. They worked really, really hard to make sure that they had all their uh, I's dotted and all their T's crossed, that they did everything exactly by the book, that they checked off all their boxes. They worked so hard to do this. And so Jesus, when he says that this way is easy, he certainly cannot mean that it doesn't take much work. So when Jesus says this, I think he's talking about, it, it relates more to what's natural in a person. When Jesus says this is the easy way, he's talking about this is the path of least resistance. This is the way that you are gonna be wired to go naturally. We talked about it earlier, didn't we? How we very naturally, we're always asking the question, what do I have to do? What boxes do I have to check to make sure that I'm good, right? And it's all based on that selfishly motivated goal. And that's that selfishness that's inside of you that has wired you to think that way. And the reason that Jesus says that it's easier is because any person, they can complete a list of tasks and never be held accountable for the brokenness, the selfishness that's inside of them. You see, operating by law, I, I, can, I can do whatever anybody asks me to do, but when it comes to changing, that's the difficult part, right? Anybody can operate by law, but never have to change, the easy way does not require me to change. So you remember the good person rule? We've been talking about it a little bit as we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, right? Because we all have these lists of things that we come up with to, like, to call ourselves good people. These are the rules that we come up with. So maybe your good person rule looks like this. I haven't murdered or abused anyone. I've never stolen anything. I'm nice to all the people that I meet. I don't do drugs. I show up to church on Sunday. I tithe. I give to the needy. Uh, we all have these, these ways that seem right to us, right? We have these lists that we check off. Yep, got that one, got that one. And listen, they aren't necessarily easy to fulfill. Like showing up to church on Sunday, we all live busy lives. We live in a really busy culture. It's not necessarily easy to show up to church on Sunday. It's not necessarily easy to give your money away to those in need or to give your money to your church. But we tend to do these things. We create this list for us to check off the boxes for our own bare minimum religion. And the temptation is to think that because we somehow have checked off these boxes that we are good with God. And Jesus offers a clear warning that your bare minimum will not be enough. He says this, the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to what? Destruction. Proverbs 14, 12 says something very similar. It says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Listen, with God, it can be so, so easy to say, God, look at everything I've done. Look at all the boxes that I've checked. Surely this is good enough. And Jesus speaks into that easy, that natural way of thinking, and he says, no, actually, your path of good enough, it leads to destruction, it leads to death, it leads to hell. So then, what's the alternative? 
What's the alternative path that Jesus wants to lay out for us? Matthew 7, 14 says this, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. So if Jesus is talking about the easy way and he's saying that's the way that comes naturally to you, then this hard way must be what doesn't come naturally. This hard way must be what is difficult to follow because it actually requires us to change, right? You see, the natural intent of our hearts, it's inverted on ourselves. We have our own selfishly motivated goals, and so we ask questions like, what's my bare minimum for making sure that I get things right with God? How, how can I make sure that I'm good with God? And you know what ultimately happens is that we become the end of our own religion. We become the end of our boxes that we're checking. We become the purpose for these tasks that we're completing. The Westminster Confession says uh, this, at the very beginning, it says the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But in a system that says, how do I make sure that I'm good with God? The chief end of that religion is all about me. So the golden rule, the way of grace, it's hard and it's narrow because it pushes past our pride and it pushes past our selfishly motivated goals and it forces us to admit that even with our best effort at trying to meet the bare minimum standards, our hearts still need to be changed. It requires our hearts to be focused on imitating God's gracious nature to the world. And when we come into the world with broken souls that are inverted upon ourselves, it's really hard to be showing God's gracious nature to the world. It requires us to be about the glory of God and the good of others. So we have a problem right now, right? Because with the golden rule, uh, it actually requires a lot more time and effort than, uh, than just simply keeping the law, than just simply checking the boxes. It actually is a really hard way. You have to work very, very hard to keep the golden rule. So we have a problem because Jesus is saying, your bare minimum, it, it won't be enough. You're actually gonna have to go above and beyond. You're going to have to work a lot harder. And yet somehow, in another place, actually in the same gospel, Jesus is able to say these words. In Matthew 11, he says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It seems like a contradiction, right? Jesus is saying you're gonna have to work really, really hard. That this golden rule, this thing that to fulfill all the law and the prophets, it's a hard way. And somehow Jesus says, my yoke is easy. How can both of these be true? Well, let me tell you, living by grace, it requires more than just simple rule following. When a heart is changed by the grace of Jesus, this rule that was once burdensome, that was once heavy, that once took a lot of effort, that was once really, really difficult, this goal actually becomes a privilege and a joy to carry out. 
In fact, the only way that we can actually begin to fulfill the golden rule as human beings is to have our hearts changed by the grace of Jesus. In uh, Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel, he's speaking God's words and he says to God's people, God speaks and says, I'll take their hearts of stone. These hearts that are inverted upon themselves, these hearts that are asking questions for their own selfish motivations. And he says, I will give them hearts of flesh, that I will put my spirit in them and they will actually fulfill the law like I intended them to fulfill it. You see, when, when we meet the Holy Spirit, when he revives our hearts and we understand that Jesus gave his life for us, for our salvation, to save us, to secure us, and something starts to happen. The more we understand that, something happens to our hearts. Thankfulness and love start to well up inside of us. When I understand that before God, my own efforts fall desperately short and yet Jesus still died that I might be saved. When I get that, my desires, they begin to move away from my own concerns and they begin to move towards the concerns of giving glory to my Father and to doing good for others. Instead of having to be concerned about where I stand with God, I can freely place the entirety of my focus on revealing to others the good and gracious nature of my Father in heaven. So your path to real gold is this. I have three steps for you. The first one is this. Reflect on the ways that Jesus carries out the golden rule for you. What, to what extent did Jesus go to make sure that you could be saved, to take care of your salvation? What was he willing to subject himself to? He allowed himself to be mocked. He allowed himself to be beaten. He allowed himself to hang on that cross and to die. That was the extent, that was the lengths to which he was willing to go for our sakes. And so number two, find rest in the salvation that he has secured for you. The finished work of Christ on the cross gives us a place of rest to work from. That's how Jesus can say, I will give you rest. Even though this rule is really, really hard, I will give you rest. And you know what? As we start to rest in that place, in the security of our salvation, the more we do this, the more our heart is changed the more thankfulness starts to well up, the more love starts to well up, that we actually begin desiring to to want to give graciously, to show the world the gracious nature of our Father. And so as our heart is changed, step three, we live and act out of a heart changed by grace. That, That it could be said of us that whatever we wish others would do for us, we do also for them. This is not what is natural inside of us, but this is the way, Jesus says, that leads to life. So what? Well, I think it starts with a question. And the question is this. uh, how, How can I reflect God's gracious nature to those around me? So uh, I have a couple of things. And while we can tend to think in terms of big actions, big 